Is it hot in here to everybody else? Man. Okay, so I, I noticed the crowd and noticed that there's not a seat near, uh, next to my family. And so I think, oh, no, I've got to sit by myself without kids. Um, and then I sit down and they all come to me because I think someone told them to. No, I don't believe you. But I'm, um, if I fall asleep during my own sermon, that's what happens. Uh, this Saturday, uh, Marcus and Catherine Williamson, I, it's Williamson. I always get nervous, Williams, Williamson, I always mess that up. But Will, Marcus and Catherine Williamson are going to have a marriage ceremony here. Um, they have been married for a year, uh, but Catherine has, uh, was deployed. You have military things you've got to do, zip lining and whatnot, and uh, they're, so they, but they never really got to have an official ceremony, uh, and so we're, we're super excited to celebrate that with them. Uh, one of the great things about a marriage ceremony is that you make these promises publicly to people um, and uh, to each other, publicly to each other in front of people that can hold you accountable, and um, that celebration is going to be this Saturday at 4 at three, if you show up at four, I think there will be cake. But three is when the real thing happens. Uh, so we're very um, excited to be a part of that. And um, they're going to be doing that here at the building at three o'clock. So um, please come and um, join us for that. And happy Mother's Day. Look at all of you. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad that this happened because sometimes in a, in a young congregation like ours, Everybody leaves to go be with their mother, but we're glad you're here with us today. Um, I'm glad you came in and spent some time with your mothers. We have some visitors, uh, and, and sometimes that's what happens on Mother's Day. You, get, you wake up and you say, well, what, what do you want, Mom? And she says, well, I want you to come to church with me, and we're going to at least look like a normal family for once. Maybe it's not said with that tone. But yeah, but it is. Let's get, we are, we'll get there on time, and I will wear a croissage. We will get a croissant on the way. And there is, but you have, there is a societal pressure to look like a certain type of family. I mean, ever since Leave It to Beaver, you've had this, you've had this sense of we've got to look a certain way. We've got to sound a certain way. Kids don't say that in public. You can say things at home that you can't say at the grocery store. And we want, we have a certain image that we're trying to uphold, and we're not all that great at it. If there is a, a, um, a family structure and there's a family standard, we're not up to snuff, are we? Like, just to be honest with your family, you, you, you're not, you don't got it all together. And sometimes you look at your own family and you look at your extended family and you think, what is wrong with us? Because I go to church and I see all these other families and they're sitting together and they're happy and their kids are quiet. And our kids aren't quiet. And they don't know. And they're not bowing their head and closing their eyes during prayers as much as we want them to. 
or at all. Rachel, Rachel laughs at me because I still like, I have this Church of Christ thing in me where I've got to bow my head and close my eyes and say a prayer, but now I've got kids, and so that's not actually conducive to keeping them alive. And so there's, so I bow my head and I close my eyes just a little, and like it's such a stupid thing to do because uh, like I'm not, like I'm not faking God out with my half open eyes, like I don't get it. What, what I'm trying to do in that situation. But like, we, your family doesn't have it all together. And this morning I want to talk about, and very briefly, that's my gift to you, Mother's Day, you're going to get to the restaurant before everybody else. Um, don't expect it next week. Very briefly, I want to talk about a guy. Um, this isn't on. Uh, I want to talk about a guy named Samson. And I'm going to talk about his family, and I'm going to talk about him. Samson is um, told in Bible classrooms around the world that he is a strong man. He was a hero for God, that he was um, mighty and magnificent, uh, and that in the end he just succumbed to some woman and lost his strength. And then God gave it back to him at the end to seek ultimate revenge. We lift Jesus up, uh, lift Samson up so much so that sometimes he has been uh, he has been likened to an early version of Jesus, somebody who's going to come up and and stand up against authority. And uh, but if you read if you read Judges from chapter one to chapter sixteen, you'll realize something that you might not have thought of before. Because we've told the story of Samson like he's Hercules for so long now. That Samson was a complete buffoon. There is absolutely no redeeming quality of Samson. And that actually, if you read Judges 1 through Judges 16, you'll realize what the writer of Judges is trying to tell us all along is that the Judges are getting worse and worse as we go. And that actually, Samson's not only not one of the best judges, he's actually the worst one. He was a, um, made a Nazarite vow, or is supposed to be a Nazarite from birth, which Nazarite means a lot of things. It doesn't just mean growing your hair out. Nazarite means you stay away from drink, strong drink, you stay away from... Uh, Good, like so, like like uh, wine and um, alcohol and Mountain Dew. You stay away from it. And there was a, and you also you you didn't you wanted to be set apart. Nazarite literally means set apart. So you don't go in and um, fraternize with other other groups. Um, you you stay clean and pure by the rules of the law. And at every turn, at every turn. In Samson's story, we just see him violating this vow over and over again. It's not when he, just when he cuts his hair. I mean, the very first thing he does, the very first line of Samson's story, when, in Samson's particular story, is he goes to the Philistines and sees a woman that he wants, goes home and says, I want her to be my wife. That's how I imagine Samson talking. And she 
they say, well, you, you need a, a Jewish. I want her. Oh, okay. Marrying a Philistine woman violates the Nazarite vow. It's not, and then he goes and it doesn't work out and he gets mad. And he, on the way there, he kills a lion, rips it in half. And the scripture says, like you would a baby goat. <laughs> what? Like you would a baby goat. Just rips it in half. Throws it on the ground. Gets mad because he, on, the, um, on the way back, he's, he, he sees some honey in this lion carcass, and then like you do, picks it up and eats it. That, by the way, violates his Nazarite vow. Not supposed to do that. Not supposed to touch a dead animal. Definitely not supposed to eat what's growing inside of it. I think that's understood. He goes back and he, uh, and he, he goes to the Philistine men and he says, got a riddle for you. And the answer to the riddle is basically dead lion with honey inside it. Horrible riddle. Like, who's going to get a riddle? And they finally ask his wife, his wife-to-be finally prods him enough and says, hey, just tell me the answer. And so every once in a while throughout Samson's story, you have these little sections where it's poetry, but it's horrible poetry. Like, when they finally get his riddle... His, his response to them is, if you, and it's a poem, if you wouldn't have plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have answered my riddle. And it, just, it cracks me up to hear people hearing that and going, good poem, Samson. He's not the hero of this story. He fails at every turn. One time he gets mad takes the jawbone of a donkey, King James, that's funnier, takes, takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand men, and he, his poem after that is, with the jawbone of a donkey I've killed a thousand men. Poetry. And people, people he is a complete goof. He, he is the worst judge, the worst one. His father, Manoah, you may not have known that name, I didn't really know it until this week. His father, Manoah, is just as bad. An angel actually comes to, and we'll read about this in a second, an angel comes to, uh, to Samson's mother and says, he's, here, he's going to be a Nazarite, keep him away from strong drink. Keep him set apart. I want you not cut his hair. And he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. He's going to be set apart from birth. And his mother goes to his father, Manoah. Samson's mother goes to his father, Manoah, and says, um, an, an angel came to me, said I'm going to be pregnant. I'm supposed to keep him. I'm supposed to refrain from strong drink. I'm supposed to keep myself pure during this pregnancy. And then Samson's going to do the same. And Manoah says, where'd that guy go? And he said, she said, well, he's an angel of God. And she said, well, and Manoah said, please God, please God, send him back. He, God sends the angel back and comes back to the wife. And the wife goes to get Manoah and brings him back. And Manoah says, what are we supposed to do when this baby comes? And the, the angel almost frustratingly says, do what I told your wife to do. 
do what, what, do what I told your wife. And then he says, oh, well, what's that? And so he tells him what it was, something the wife has already told him. Mother's Day, maybe the best present is we can just start listening a little better. But he, he tells him again, and he tells him what he's supposed to do. And then the angel of the Lord, and they said, well, can we, can we give you some food? And he says, no, no, just make a sacrifice. And he makes a sacrifice, and then the guy disappears into the flames. And Manoah says, we're going to die. And his wife says, well, if we were going to die, would he have just let us make the sacrifice and give, told me I'm going to be pregnant? It doesn't even make sense. This woman's name is never mentioned. It's just Samson's mother, Manoah's wife. She's barren, and she's approached by God. This is, this is what the story says. It's in Judges 13. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren, having born no children. And the angel of the Lord peered to the woman and said to her, Although you are barren... Having borne no children, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now be careful not to drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean, for you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor is to come to his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite, or the boy shall be set apart from birth. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. It is he who shall begin... I did that scripture twice. It is he who shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands... Of the Philistines. And this is exactly what he did. But only by the grace of God. Because he was a complete doofus. The the scripture, the story of Judges is the the arc of the story of Judges is just a downward decline. And it ends in a pile of rubble with Samson's dead body at a Philistine place where he was supposed to marry a Philistine woman, something he wasn't supposed to do as a Nazarite, where she cut his hair, something he wasn't supposed to do as a Nazarite. You know, sometimes we tell the story like, like that was the only thing that kept him strong, and that if he could just cut the hair, and he said, find me, tie, me, tie me down with ropes, that'll keep it. And they'll say, no, that didn't work. And they, she says, well, what's the secret to your strength? Tie me down with ropes. Uh, do this, do that. And then he finally says, cut my hair. But it, like he finally gave her the secret. But I, think, I don't think he valued his hair as much as we think he valued his hair. I think he was just coming up with something else that was silly. He, he did not respect the vows that he had taken. He hadn't respected them at every turn. Why would he respect his hair? And can you imagine his mother watching this? From the very first time, with just three verses in, he comes and says, I want to marry a Philistine woman. Whoa, hold up, hold up. You've made, this is not going to work out. This isn't what you're supposed to do. Do it. Oh, okay. Can you imagine his mother looking at this and saying, this is a complete disaster. He's everything he was told not to be. How can God use this? But God does. With Samson, God begins to deliver the people of Israel from, from the Philistines. With Samson. 
This is, I, this is not a, a perspective that I just had. This is the, this, every scholar in the book will tell you that he's a complete disaster. He is. But God begins to deliver the Israelites through Samson because God can use any unholy mess to do something wonderful and holy. That's what grace is. Grace is not just this this thing that gets us to heaven. Grace is not just this thing that forgives us of our sins. It does those things. But grace is also something that changes our situation now. Can make our situation better. Not necessarily we're going to get richer and we're, not, we're going to get healthier. And It's just that we're going to be able to experience, by the grace of God, we're going to be able to experience even our tragedies in a different life. Grace is something that can change us now. It's Paul who says in 1 Corinthians 15, it's by the grace of God that I am, present tense, who I am. It's not Paul saying, I'm just by the grace of God that I will be where I will be. It's by the grace of God I am who I am, and, and it is, his grace is not without effect on me. The story of judges is not a story of people who are fantastic and super super powerful overcoming other people who are sort of powerful, but we beat them because we've got it all together. The story of judges is about God doing something through unholy messes. I am not going to be a very good parent all the time. Uh, I'm going to get frustrated. I'm going to get tired. I'm going to get impatient. And there are times that I have to apologize to my children for not doing the best that I can. And there are times that you're going to have to apologize to your kids for not doing the best that you could. But I want you to know that, that you're not failing. You're not. You're not doing the best job you could, but you're not failing. Because any house, any home, any mother, daughter, mother, son, any uh, wife, husband relationship, any relationship you have with your mother, any relationship you have with your father, can, even though it's just this unholy mess, it can be sanctified by a God who is holy. It can be made right. It can be made pure. It can be made into something that's worthwhile. You don't have to have it all together to be connected to God. You just don't. But by the grace of God, He can begin to do something in our life. You might not see the culmination of it. You might not see the end of it. But you might see the beginning. And just because you don't see the end doesn't mean it didn't begin. 
Several chapters later, at the beginning of a book called 1 Samuel, we learn of a guy named Samuel. Obviously. Through the work of Samuel, God eventually does what he promised to begin to do to Samson. And then through a guy named Saul, and through a man named David, God delivers the people of Israel, Israel from the hands of the Philistines. God did it. David didn't do it. David was a mess. Saul was a mess. Samuel, Samuel was actually real, a really good guy, but wasn't perfect either. I don't want you to look around at your family this morning and think, I, we are, man, we're a mess and we've got to pretend to not be a mess. Because I think that would be a mistake. I think what God would have us do is to be open and honest about the mess that we have. So that when he does something great through his grace, with our unholy mess, what we will start to realize is that God is the one who gives the gifts. And God is the one who starts the victory, who overcomes. And he's working through this mess of a family. Churches have far too long, church families have far too long pretended to be something that we are not. And I think we're actually doing damage to the kingdom of God by doing so. Because when we pretend to be something that we are not, we are raising up our own value and lowering the value of God. Be honest about who you are. And I think it's only then that God will actually work with who you are. When you've been honest about what that is. I am so thankful for my mother. When I was born, I couldn't have asked for a better mother. I, didn't, I couldn't speak. But I also wouldn't have asked for a better mother. Not because my mom had it all together. I think she had a lot together. And I really couldn't tell you what she did wrong. But she would tell you she didn't have it all together. But it is by the grace of God that we are who we are. And His grace is not without effect on us. It's by the grace of God that your family even exists, that you're even alive, that that you're even functioning. So be an unholy mess if you need to. Admit to it. So that you can lift up God and say, but I'll tell you what makes us great is that we have the grace from the God who loves us unconditionally. If you're tired of being, tired of faking it, let's come forward and confess some brokenness. We'll celebrate your brokenness because there's a God who has grace on it. If If you don't have it all together, let's come forward and celebrate that. If you're not living up to some sort of standard, Let's come forward and celebrate the fact that you don't have to. It's not your job to get it all together. It's your job to follow the God who gives the grace, who, let, makes, un, who makes holy victories out of unholy messes. Let's celebrate God this morning 
by celebrating the brokenness that he's working with. But whatever you need this morning, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.